You know, 10 months ago, we made a decision to redefine our direction. We knew there would be ups and downs this season. We knew that we would encounter some things that were going to be difficult, and we did. Uh, with that said, I think we're in a, a better place today than we were at this time last year. And I think we have an opportunity to grow as an organization starting today. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Levine, he goes right. Oh! Stop it, Samson! Did you not get the memo? Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Enos Cantor, what are you doing? The finisher in New York City. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. We're going to preach patience. It doesn't mean we're not going to be looking for ways to get better, but a lot of it's going to come internally. We need Zach Levine to be a better basketball player. Chris Dunn to come back a better player. Lowry Markkinen, Bobby Portis, you go down the line. They have to put in the time and confident that they will. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Like I said at the beginning, I feel better today about our, our direction and our position than I did a year ago. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're live on Dash Radio, dashradio.com and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Net channel, live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, runner of Bulls basketball in the NBA at LockedOnBulls.com and College Hoops over at SB Nation. Along with me is Matt Pack, host of Bulls Outsiders on NBC Sports Chicago and host of the 312 Show on AM 1590 WCGO. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On Bulls. Subscribe to the show, iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Our text and voicemail lines at 331-979-1369. We did mailbag yesterday. We went through as many text messages, many questions as you guys dropped for us yesterday. Episode, a whole hour for you. So if you didn't listen to that, go back to yesterday's episode and listen. Tomorrow we're going to be doing all of our voicemails. So if you want to get in a voicemail, make sure you do that in the next 24 hours. 331-979-1369 is the place to do that. Matt, welcome back. Happy Thursday. Uh, last night did not go the way that we <laughs> thought it was going to go. And it's ended... In a pretty bad loss at home, and then Jim Boylan decided to talk. But how you doing first? Uh, what's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Yeah, that was uh, that's one way to put it. <laughs> it. Last night was disgusting. It was terrible. We have seen some of those efforts from the Bulls this season under both Fred Hoiberg and Jim Boylan. Uh, they came out flat. They dug themselves a 16-point deficit after the first 12th minute. Uh, 12 minutes, and they really just couldn't scrape their way back into this game. This was another game in which the Bulls, like, struggled to put up points in the mid-80s. And you're just sitting there watching the game saying, man, this is a painful offense to watch. And, like, last night there was the added frustration of Wendell Carter Jr., who's hopefully one of the future building blocks of this franchise, playing only 13 minutes, even though he wasn't really in that much foul trouble. And Jim Boylan's comments after the game, uh, in general, but really especially about Wendell, were really troubling to me because it's like 
he used this bogus reason of like, well, it's about introspection sometimes, and sometimes you need to learn by sitting and uh, rather than playing. Didn't have it. What was the reason for Wendell not playing the final twenty? Yeah, he just, you know, didn't need to put him back in. What do you mean by that? Like the counter would be it's about player development in many yeah. ways. Well, sometimes you learn by sitting too. What do you think he learns by sitting? Uh, he sees what's going on in the game. Yeah. Maybe you have some introspection. Maybe you realize I got to play my minutes better when I'm out there. Hey Jim, is, is there any concern on your part about because he's such a young kid, the way you handle him and his minutes specifically, maybe losing him or no. not nothing getting across if you're not playing him enough? No. No. Why, why not? Because he's with me. He's with us. Yeah, Wendell had a tough start to that game, but I really don't see the point in benching him in a in a game in a season when look this this is all about development now. This this is a lost season. You're you're heading towards another lottery pick, and if there's any productivity that can come from this season for the back you know for the back half the the final forty games, it's letting players like Wendell Carter Jr. Learn from their mistakes by continuing to play on the court and trying to salvage a, a bad start to a game by having a strong finish to a game. I, I it was the, like the latest episode in Jim Boylan says stuff last night, and it drove me crazy. It's wild. Like I think beyond just Carter, the fact that Dunn didn't play in the last twenty minutes of the game, and that was sort of his reasoning. Like that makes zero sense. Like absolutely zero sense. Look, I get Shaq Harrison was having an having an okay night. He was playing defense, playing hard. That's what Shaq Harrison does. That's what he needs to do in order to stay in the league. That's all fine and great, but man, Chris Dunn has played only in a hand two handfuls of games this season. Like we need to see him out there. I don't even care if it's a thirty point blowout. And look, I understand the whole injury thing too. Like you don't want them to get hurt in a game that doesn't matter. But at the same time. Like at what point do we do we say like these guys have to play? And I I'm not an NBA player, I'm not an NBA coach, but I don't know how much you learn from sitting on the bench. Like can't you do that by watching film after the game? Like isn't that whole, the whole point of film sessions is not only to be able to sit and watch the game as it as it's developing but be able to watch yourself too? Like that reasoning to me just made absolutely no sense. Matt, listen to the stats from Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, during Hoyball Hoy and then during Boyball. So 24 games under Hoyberg. He played 25.7 minutes, 11.4 points, 7.1 rebounds, 1.6 blocks. He was shooting 47.1%, 20.8% from three, and 80.8% from the free throw line. Under Boylan, slight downtick in some in most of these stats, but not as surprising as I thought it was. In 13 13 games under Boylan, 23.9 minutes, 9.3 points, 6.8 rebounds, 1.2 blocks, shooting 53.6%. He hasn't, he's only taken one three in 13 games under Boylan. He's shooting 0% from three and 70.8% from the free throw line. And then last night he finished with 13 minutes, zero points, one rebound and three fouls. So I don't know if it's just me or if it's just the eye test kind of fooling me, but it seems like Wendell Carter Jr. is just not as involved in the offense or with the team when he's on the floor at all under Boylan. I don't know if that's just me. Well, no, it's not just you. Uh, He certainly hasn't been as involved offensively. Uh, 
and some of what we might be, you know, talking about is the foul trouble that we know Wendell has been dealing with so far this season. But that doesn't explain a night like last night where he picked up his third foul like early mid third quarter, which really isn't when you look at it, real foul trouble, especially in a game when like you're, dude, you're down 20 anyway. If, if Wendell fouls out, it's not the end of the world. But for for Boylan to pull him there. It, it, it just took away any opportunity for Wendell to do something positive with his night. So instead of trying to bounce back and, and grit through it and do something good on the basketball court, Wendell instead had to just sit there on the bench and stew in his own misery. And, you know, Jim Boylan treating him like a kid, like putting him in timeout to say, yeah, yeah, tonight's not your night, kid. Just go go ride the ride the pine for the rest of the night. And then you heard Wendell's comments after the game, and he was so down on himself. And he was saying, you know, I would have taken myself out, and, you know, I, I, I didn't contribute anything to this game tonight, and so I, I understand why Coach benched me. And I, I mean, I guess there's something to be said from, you know, having some kind of consequence to playing poorly. But at the same time, like, what if, if Jim Boylan wants to send a message to his players by – sitting them when they play poorly, then what the hell is Justin Holiday still doing playing near 40 damn minutes a night? That's what I don't get. It's a good question. And you're right. Like, And partially this is, is Carter's fault. Like, He is developing as a young player, and he hasn't been playing all that well. But last night in, in particular, Boylan took him out of, in the first half with two fouls. And it, there was like six or seven minutes left in the second quarter. And somebody asked me on Twitter, they're like, why isn't Carter in the game? And I said, well, two fouls. You don't want him to pick up the third because we probably won't see him at all in the third quarter to start the half. And that's not good either. So I was like, all right, let's give him a break. Fine. Whatever. Carter's not going to play for the rest of the half. We'll see him in the second half. And then he plays him for like three minutes. Carter picks up another foul, like you had said. Only three fouls at the time. And then we don't see him the rest of the night. So that to me, like using the be- the Bulls bench as like timeout now for the players when they're they're under scrutiny, they 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 need to quote unquote learn something or they they're being saved from themselves by Boylan just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like look at Jabari too. Like really, Jabari couldn't get in the game. Cristiano Felicio got in the game last night. Cameron Payne got in the game last night. Antonio Blakeney and Shaq Harrison were in the game long enough to combine for twenty six shots last night. And you're telling me Jabari can't get off the bench? Like this Bulls bench is now being used as timeout, and I don't like the way that that's going. And I mean, yeah, you mentioned Blakeney. Like we all thought Blakeney was forever in the doghouse, and he certainly appeared to be in Fred's doghouse. And we know Boylan emphasizes defense over offense, at least right now. I mean, I think he does overall as a coach as far as his background and, and his where he specializes because he's been telling us we need to fix our defense, we need to have better defensive effort, and then we'll worry about our offense. And you can agree or disagree with that. I tend to disagree with that. But for for a guy like Blakeney to get up 24 – or to, to play 24 minutes and get up 12 shots last night – I mean, we joke about how Blakeney just always is shooting. We On Bulls Outsiders, we call him going up. Because anytime Blakeney gets the ball, you know he's going to shoot it. It's like when he, when he passes, you're shocked. You're not just surprised. You're actually shocked to see him pass the ball. So in that sense, like that is another example of Boylan's rotations and who's getting minutes. just makes no sense to me. Because Blakeney, I guess, can be a microwave scorer off the bench when he is hitting his shots. And he was 5 of 12 last night, but the dude also plays no defense. 
So in that sense, I really don't understand what Boylan is doing because we all know that Blakeney is going to be the same Blakeney. And yet there we were last night. You mentioned with Bobby Portis out, how is Jabari not get minutes? And maybe some of that has to do with the Bulls working on a trade for Jabari right now and not wanting him to get hurt. But there were large stretches last night's game when he was playing a three-guard lineup with Blakeney, Harrison, and and Archie. And I'm like, what? What? What are we watching? <laughs> he had, yeah, he had Shaq Harrison, he had Blakeney, he had Archie Diakno, and he had Hutchison all in the game at the same time. And he had Markinen playing the five. Yeah, he played those four and Rolo for a big stretch of the first half and a big stretch of the second half. And it's no surprise either, right, that all of a sudden Rolo's getting all of these minutes over the last three weeks. And what do we hear over the last 48 hours that, oh, all of a sudden the Bulls want to include Robin Lopez in trade packages. Good luck with that. Same thing with Justin Holiday. We heard yesterday that the Rockets checked in on Justin Holiday. That's about all that they did, though. Justin Holiday's trade value is pretty much, if it's not at zero, it's it's maybe a hairs above zero. It's been plummeting every night that he plays somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes and looks worse and worse. Same thing with Robin Lopez. Like, yeah, he's had a couple good nights, but you're not going to squeeze anything out of Robin Lopez as far as trade value. Like, he is what he is, and most teams don't want to trade for a center in his 30s. That plays back to the basket. That's just, nobody wants that. And if if your idea of finding a trade package for Jabari Parker is pairing Justin Holiday or Robin Lopez with him, like, you're out of your mind. What team wants to take on those two or a couple of those three players? What team in this NBA? In the, this NBA? Yeah. Nobody. I mean, if, if that's what's going on here, and Holiday and Rolo are still both getting real minutes. I mean, Holiday's getting a ton, and Rolo's has certainly increased since, you know, since Hoiberg got fired. Because they're trying to package one of them and attach one of them to a Jabari trade, because they think that that will be a nice enough package for them to avoid taking on an ugly contract with at least another remaining year on it to get rid of Jabari, they're kidding themselves. Because from what we're hearing, any team in the league that's remotely interested in Jabari is only interested in him if the Bulls are willing to take on a bad contract in a trade. So if the Bulls are trying to somehow up Holiday and or Lopez's trade value so that they can attach him to Jabari, so that they can get an asset for that package without taking on money, they're it they're running a, a fruitless, pointless errand right now. Because unless something really crazy happens and something changes, and some front office out there in the league says, "Oh man, like we 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 gotta have Jabari." which is not what we're hearing right now, That then th- what they're doing is pointless and all it's doing is taking minutes away from the young kids who might actually be a part of this team moving forward. Like you had mentioned it. We mentioned it yesterday. Chandler Hutchison had a nice 15 minutes against the Raptors when 5 for 5 at 11 points, 4 rebounds. Yeah. Then it's like, in the first half, it's like, where's Chandler Hutchison? Why? Like, Holiday was missing shots left and right. It's like, where's Hutchison? Why aren't you playing him? And then in 15 minutes last night, he played pretty solid. I know he finished with 22, but the first 15 minutes of him being in there, it's like, hey, maybe he actually belongs. Maybe we should see what he's got. And then Boylan with that stupid lineup where he put Hutchison at the four, which makes absolutely no sense. Like, I just, I don't get it. And the one biggest thing I don't get, Matt, circling back to Chris Dunn, not playing Chris Dunn for the last 20 minutes. Like, I know you and probably a lot of other Bulls fans, and if you haven't, check it out on Twitter. 
there's a video, a shot of the bench with the last like three minutes of the game, and it's Zach Levine, Justin Holliday, and Chris Dunn all sitting next to each other. And Zach Levine looks just done. He's miserable. Like, he looks he looks pissed. He looks he he he's like, why the hell did I sign here? Like that's the type of look we got last night from him. Chris Dunn is sitting there like, man, like look, he's like pointing to the court. He's like, what is going on? And Justin Holliday's rubbing his face like, man, I have no idea what we're doing right now. Like you can tell these guys aren't bought in and they're not believing anything Boylan's saying either and it's showing they're sitting on the bench showing you that that's the craziest thing is like we can be mad all we want but the players are just as pissed off as we are yeah and at the same little clip that you're referring to Archie Diacono comes off the court and sits next to Dunn and then covers his mouth with a towel and says something to Chris Dunn and I was sitting there you know playing detective watching being like oh my gosh I wonder what Archie just said to Chris Dunn because I'm sure it's something snarky or depressing about what happened on the court that night because I mean there's this this you know this sentiment that the the front office and ownership wanted Boylan to whip these young kids into shape and that they were developing bad habits under Fred Hoiberg and that they wanted to nip these bad habits in the bud and you know etc etc and okay to some degree yes young players like this who haven't really proved themselves and need to develop and, and learn what it takes to win in the NBA, they need some, you know, some bad cop. And and now bad cop is the head coach as opposed to being the sidekick to good cop, Fred Hoiberg. And what for, you know, whatever. And you can blame the players. You can call the players soft if you want to. But it certainly seems, based on their body language on the bench last night, that they are not responding well to Boylan. Because guess what? He's not letting them have any fun. And you talk about a team whose coach wants them to fix their effort on the defensive end and the scheme on the defensive end, and then we'll worry about offense. But in the meantime, we're going to slow our offense down. And there was a moment last night where Chris Dunn got a, got a rebound and was looking to push the pace, and then he looked over at coach, and then based on coach's instruction, Chris Dunn slowed down. It was like he was instinctively, all right, I got the ball. We got some numbers. I'm going to push the pace. Oh, Boylan told me to slow down. And it, I think it was like a situation where the Bulls could have gotten a two for one at the end of one of the quarters. I can't remember which one, but it's just like stuff like that where like, you know, you have these young athletic guys, Levine, Markinen, Chris Dunn, they they can attack the basket. They can do all these things that we're trying to see them get better at. And, and Boylan just doesn't let him do it. And when you have that coupled with a poor defensive effort last night, when they let an Orlando Magic team that is rivaling the Bulls is one of the worst offensive teams in the league when it comes to offensive efficiency and offensive ratings. You let them, on your home floor, shoot 58% from the field and 42% from downtown. So when you're fine with only scoring 85 points a night because you're really focused on the defensive side and your defense allows that and 112 points, you're going to get blown out by 30. Another thing, too, that bothered me was looking at the fact that the Bulls only shot eight free throws last night. They had only two free throws in the first half. I'm sorry. The way that this Bulls team is built, you can't shoot only eight free throws and expect to win a game. Expect to stay in a game. You have guys that are going to drive and attack the basket that they should be used that way. Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, Lowry Marketed, all three of those guys should be putting up six to eight free throws a game. They were trying to do that in the first half, but you know what's funny, Matt, is when you you just send one guy to the basket and have nobody else move, 
Everybody collapses towards the rim and you don't get good shots up. Go back last night. Look at that first half. How many times did we see Lowry Markin and Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, try to drive to the basket, two, three guys collapse on him, and they end up settling for for a shitty five to seven foot jumper that they end up missing? Like, Boylan needs to figure it out. And like we said yesterday, I don't think he has a plan on offense. That's why he's slowing everything down and trying to focus on the defensive side of the ball because he really doesn't have a plan for the offense. Now, on top of that, I wanted to say something good just to kind of cap off this as as best as we could with Chris Dunn. Cody Westerland brought this up, and I think this is a good point to to emphasize right now with his game. He said, at the, at the end of last season, John Paxson emphasized Chris Dunn had to finish at the rim better to improve. During Dunn's first 12 games back this season, he's shooting 64.7% on shots from 0 to 3 feet, basically at the rim. After shooting 54.3% and 50.7% in his previous two seasons. So he is, and I looked back at his shooting numbers, he's increased the amount of shots he's taking from 0 to 3, which is right around the rim. And he's also increased his field goal percentage from that that range. So, I mean, John Paxson wanted results from some of his young guys. Chris Dunn is already proving that. Small sample size, but still, Chris Dunn, since he's been back, has been better at finishing around the rim, and we need to continue to see that to prove, I think, to a lot of other Bulls fans out there that Chris Dunn could be the point guard of the future, be that guy that can run an offense. So at least I had to cap it off with at least a little bit of positivity. Good to see that from Chris Dunn. And maybe... Maybe somebody can show that show that to Jim Boylan and realize that maybe he shouldn't be sitting his ass on the bench for the last twenty minutes of the game. Just a thought, though. yeah. Just a thought, yeah. You're right, and like to back to your initial point as far as letting these kids attack the rim, whether it's Chris Dunn or Zach Levine, like I think that's part of the reason why Zach Levine has looked and sounded so morose recently. Is that like Boylan's not letting him do what he wants to do and. When we first started watching Levine this season, remember how explosive he was attacking the basket? And that's still there. There were like a couple of times in last night's game where Zach was able to penetrate into the paint and finish at the hoop and use his athleticism to get an easy two. And we were seeing either that or Zach Levine attacking the basket, drawing a foul and get to the free throw line a lot in the first month or so of the season. And we were seeing nights where Zach Levine was taking 10 free throws which is something that we didn't see a whole lot of last season, and we were saying as this season was getting going, we need to see Zach Levine being a 10 free throw attempt kind of a night kind of guy, right? Not Maybe not quite 15 to 20 like Harden, who gets all the free throws in this league, but at least 10. And that has evaporated under Jim Boylan because guess what? If you tell your young guys that they're, they, they need to slow down the pace, they're less inclined to see a window and ferociously attack the basket like they can. So, I mean, I I put the recent, like, sluggishness of Zach Levine immediately on the head of Jim Boylan because he's clearly telling Zach Levine that he's not allowed to do some of the things that Zach Levine can do, and that is upsetting. Yes, Chris Dunn improving his finishing at the rim, that's nice. But at the same time, the other guy who was probably even better at attacking the basket and getting to the basket and finishing at the basket, Zach Levine, is, is just, like, ghosting with that part of his offensive game, and that's a problem. I agree with you on the, in that sense. And two, like, it hasn't been all bad either with Levine, the way that Boylan has tried to use him. It seems like 
you know, surface level, he's trying to be a little bit, he's trying to get Levine to be more efficient with the shots that he's taking, not necessarily just a volume, because before he was taking 20, 22 shots a game, and at times it was like, yeah, you were putting up 24, 28 points, but you were doing it on 22, 24 shots. Now, like, Levine is, was 6 for 10 last night, 16 points. Okay, not, not a superstar type of night, but still more efficient. The other night, he had 24 points, and I think he only took 12 shots. Like, that's the type of efficiency that we want to see from Levine. But I do agree with you. It seems like at times, like, Levine almost doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. He wants to do one thing, but knows he, he's, he's asked to be doing another. And that's one other thing, Matt, is is getting out and running with this offense. The Bulls forgot how to run two-on-one fast breaks. Like, I've seen Levine twice now in the yes. last two games try to run a two-on-one fast break with Justin Holiday, and then last night with Markkinen. Oh, last night with Markkinen, what that pass was terrible. And the pass to Justin Holiday against the Raptors was bad, too. It was like, no, you take the ball. No, you take the ball. And then by the time both of them got to the rim, Pascal Siakam was right there to block the shot. And then last night, too, it was like, Levine, I could see trying to make that pass. It was more so, okay, it was just a stupid pass. But just go up. Lob that up. Marvin can dunk that. It was like... Levine didn't wait until the point where the one defender in the two-on-one fast break either committed to him or kept you know kept his uh, his proximity to Lowry and just let Levine go to the basket. So it's like Levine didn't wait for the fast break to develop another second so that the you know the one defender was committed to one or the other and so he either had a clear path to basket or a wide open market in to throw a lob to or a, a quick pass to for an easy lay-in and he just like aborted the, the fast break by panic throwing a, a pass that was so ill-advised and you're saying like my god this it's you know you wanted to play the the only the bulls uh song parodying it's like the the Michael Carter Williams fast break from a couple seasons ago so Zach Levine's gonna clean that up and I don't know if it's the fact that they don't run like ever since Boylan started to coach but they need to clean that up like those are easy buckets that should just be no-brainers and these guys I know that they know how to do that just wonder if it's like them now thinking too much when they get out on a break oh, instead of, of course. just dunking it and just it's like don't don't think just run just, just go do basketball things do the basketball yeah. things that you were brought here and but, paid to do but clearly Boylan is not letting them I know and shout out to Steph no because he's put out a lot of solid highlights recently including one where the Bulls had a fast break opportunity and they had a man advantage after a turnover and instead of letting them run like I think it was done, you know, got it across half court and had room to run and, and set up a fast break opportunity. And Boylan just told him to to pull the ball back out and, and like set up a post play. So Boylan's not even letting them run fast break. So, yeah, when they actually have a fast break situation, maybe they're overthinking things and maybe they're thinking a little too much and they're worried about screwing up because Boylan's not letting them do anything. So those, right now. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. And like the comments after the game, it's just another thing. It's like Boylan says stuff and add that in combination with this game. And then look at like even Levine is straight up about it last night. He's like, I, I can't imagine what it looked like on TV. We felt even right. in the game. And well, I mean, I I, uh, I was getting some some clapback from somebody on Twitter yesterday when I was kind of going in on boiling a little bit, um, based on a quote from Chris Dunn at Shootaround saying, "Hey, it's on us to make this offense work." And I said, "Okay, well, it's on us. Only works so much if 
uh, you know, up until your coach is like running the most cavemanish offense that exists uh, across the league because nobody plays this way in the league anymore. And I mean, okay, fine. Emphasis on defense, whatever. But as I said earlier, you let a pitiful magic offense just light you up last night and you're still only scoring 85 points. Here's a fun stat. This is the 13th time last night that the Bulls have failed to reach 95 points this season, which is the most in the NBA. And by the way, nine of those 13 times have come in the last 14 games under Jim Boylan. So it's not like we're hating on Jim Boylan for just, you know, no reason other than to hate on the new coach. His offense is historically bad right now. Bulls offensive rating is like rivaling the 10 or the 2011-12 Bobcats which is the worst ever in NBA history, who also, by the way, had the worst win percentage in NBA history. So, yes, it's not hyperbole. It's not overstating things to say that the way Boylan is running this offense right now is historically bad, and it, does, it doesn't make any sense in today's NBA. The whole crawl before we can walk, before we can run thing, he is crippling this young team. All I'm going to say is, don't think I didn't forget about a lot of you out there who were quick to to kick Fred Hoiberg in the back straight out the door. So that's oh, I was, and I stand by that. <laughs> the, the I will take a modern NBA offense with some milk toast personality over a guy that screams and yells till he's blue in the face on the sideline, but wants to reincorporate the '90s offensive scheme into this new team. That's all I'm saying, and I'm not saying Koiberg was the answer to all the Bulls' problems. Just saying this would have looked a lot different. You know, the it is what it is. We have Boylan now. Hoiberg is gone, but I, I I can guarantee you Hoiberg is having a great to start to his 2019, seeing the way that this has collapsed over the last month. Yeah, he certainly probably feels a little bit ba- validated. And, um, you know, I, I still think that firing Fred was the right move just because I, I, I didn't think he, he had what it takes to, to control NBA egos, and that can still very much be true. And it can also be true that they have overcorrected with Boylan, uh, and they need to find some happy medium. And I think I said this on a recent podcast that will require this front office doing an honest to God, real coaching search. And I know you said that you have your doubts as to whether or not they'd be willing to pay three guys uh, their their coaching contract salaries next season if they decide at some point that Boylan is not the right guy. But I'm telling you right now, I I hope and pray I'm not a religious man, but I pray that they see that Boylan and his antiquated scheme is not the right answer and that they will be paying Fred Hoiberg $5 million next season and that they will be paying Boylan 900000 next season and they will also be paying a different person to be their head coach. I hope so, and I think the only way we get to that point is continuing to stack up losses, continuing to look bad, and that comes with some consequences too, right? Like It comes with now having really an unknown in your core guys that like if the Bulls are going to be losing games yes you can pick out some positives but at the same time it's like they lost a ton of games they they didn't take another step forward in an entire season right so and it's not just losing games man like they got booed off their home floor again last night for the third time in their last eight home games they were booed off the floor after a 20 plus point loss and another one coming from a 
a, a joke of an opponent in the Orlando Magic, who you proved not a month ago that you're capable of beating, and you put up this kind of effort at home. Like, that kind of stuff should make the, the front office pay attention to, is this the right guy? Is this what we really need to be doing right now? Because it's one thing to lose with a young, shorthanded team. But to get embarrassed like the Bulls are getting embarrassed on, on a weekly basis is not okay. You know, it, all it took was for Paxson and Gar and Jerry Reinsdorf to take a look outside their suite last night's game in the second half. You, you had maybe thousands as, as opposed to the entire place being sold out. Fans left after the first half. Look at all the seats alongside, the, alongside courtside. $1,000 seats. Don't blame them. Don't blame them. Did you see that Bobby Marks, you know, who's like contract and trade guru for ESPN, he's kind of like Woj's sidekick, he tweeted last night saying like, man, I hope the, those those fans in Chicago got, uh, you know, got their money back, got a refund, because it's one thing to be going through a rebuilding, retooling season, but like that's just flat embarrassing. And he's he's not wrong. And it's that kind of attention from national media people that is the only reason the Bulls have been getting headlines this season. And it goes back to the question that John Paxson said we're not worried about and Jim Boylan said we're not worried about as far as what kind of message your your organization is putting out there to potential big-name free agent targets. What what are people kind of paying attention to the Bulls this season in national storylines hearing and seeing? The fact that they're an embarrassment to the league. And that will have an effect on them. It's a free agent destination. All right, let's wrap up the show. One quick topic I wanted to get to before we get out of here, Matt. So our our pal LeBron James, he's been doing a lot of things on the West Coast this season. We haven't talked much about him, but he did make mention a couple days ago on one of his produced shows, Uninterrupted, owned by LeBron James. That one right there made me the greatest player of all time. For so many reasons. I was super, super ecstatic to win one for Cleveland because of the 52-year drought. Like, I was ecstatic. Like, obviously, I showed that, that the first wave of emotion was when y'all, everyone saw me crying. Like, that was all for 52 years. Everything in sports was going on in Cleveland. And then after I stopped, I was like, that one right there made you the greatest player of all time. You know, everybody was just talking how they were the greatest team of all time. Like, they was the greatest team to ever assembled. And for us to come back, you know, the way we came back in that fashion, I was like, you did, you did something special. That's probably one of the only times in my career I felt like, oh, shit, like you did something special. I haven't had, really had time to really, like, sit back and think, but that. How, I got to ask, how triggered were you after seeing that video? The most triggered. <laughs> I mean, you know how I feel about LeBron. Like, if there's one meathead quality to me as a Chicago sports fan outside of just hating anything related to the Green Bay Packers, it is hating LeBron James and always staunchly standing for and standing behind Michael Jeffrey Jordan as the greatest basketball player of all time. And I have come to respect LeBron a lot more than I used to, and I gained a lot of respect for him when he delivered that title to Cleveland because it meant so much to that city, and in some ways he validated and redeemed himself after abandoning them four years before that. But I, to say that he 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 became, in his mind, the greatest of all time for winning that ring is asinine to me 
Because first and foremost, whether you want to talk about Jordan six for six in the finals versus LeBron three and six, like there's that argument right there. Kyrie Irving was the one who hit the game-winning shot in Game 7. Kyrie Irving had just as impressive of a series as LeBron James when the Cavs were making that comeback from a 3-1 to deficit, and Kyrie gets almost no credit for that. And that bugs me. So, no, LeBron, it's not like he even hit the shot to clinch the series and to clinch the title. That was your pal Kyrie, who you never gave a whole lot of respect to. And I'm sorry... For one ring that you delivered to Cleveland, you also embarrassed yourself and choked and lost in the finals in 2011 to a Mavs team that had one all-star on it and aging Dirk Nowitzki. One. That negates the Cleveland ring right there. So, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't know what LeBron was thinking, and I honestly, I was so surprised to hear him say this because I think he's smarter than that. And he's always been cautious with the GOAT conversation. And he has said... Uh, like in that SI piece from a couple of years ago, I'm chasing the ghost. I'm chasing the ghost from Chicago. Now, all of a sudden, to come out with this take to say winning one for Cleveland made me the greatest. Dude, what are you talking about? You've lost to the finals six times. And yeah, you're surpassing MJ in all these stats. But guess what? He did it 10 seasons, what you're doing in like 16. So no. I know. Yes, I am triggered by this. It's stupid. Fails to mention too. You got Draymond Green suspended from that series too. Do we do we forget about that one? And how about a, just a year later, you got swept. Like MJ never got swept in the finals. So those are a couple cases too. And like, look, LeBron's smart. He did this on purpose. He did this so we would all start talking about him again. Felt like the the attention wasn't on him fully, so he comes out with this, and he knew it. He knew every publication and every podcast and every person that likes basketball, even mildly, would have an, an opinion on this take, and especially coming straight from his mouth. Like, I'm not really that surprised. And sure, he's got an argument. Like, the Warriors were one of the greatest teams ever assembled. But I'm sorry, LeBron, you put together the team that you went up against them. You had Kyrie Irving. You had Kevin Love. Like those are guys that you played with to go up against that team, and I get it. Michael had Scotty, and he had Dennis Rodman. I get all of that, but I'm with you too. Like it's just different, and the way Michael approached it when he was asked, I don't know, ten years ago, he did an interview about calling himself the greatest of all time. Asked by Michael Wilbon, if you care about being called the greatest basketball player ever, does that does that matter? Do you want that? Um, I don't want it in a sense because I think it disrespects Will Chamberlain, uh, Jerry West, you know, all the guys that prior to me, I never had a chance to play against. You know, what everybody's saying I am, I never had the chance to compete against other legends that, that was prior to me. Um, and when I hear it, I cringe a little bit because, you know, it's, it's a little bit embarrassing because no one knows, you know. I never had the chance once again to play against those guys. You know, um, I would love to have played against them, but I never did. You know, and for you to say that I'm better than him, I mean, it's your opinion. You know, it's their opinion. I accept that as their opinion. If you ask me, I'm, I would never say that I, I'm the greatest player. You know, and that's because I never played against all all the people that represented the league prior to Michael Jordan. That to me, I was like, okay, I get that. But also at the same time, I'm not I'm not naive to the fact that Michael Jordan also thought to himself the entire time, I am the greatest basketball player of all time. So 
I just I'm kind of over. Oh it. sure, and his his Hall of Fame induction speech was essentially right. that. It was a long winded version of. Y'all doubted me. This guy doubted me. This person doubted me. This person doubted me. I proved all y'all wrong. I'm the best. Peace out. Like that, that was MJ's Hall of Fame speech, and I love that. And I get that there's a a certain level of hypocrisy as a Bulls fan and a Jordan stand to say LeBron's this like flashy, self obsessed guy with this humongous ego. Because yeah, okay, in a sense, Michael Jordan was also very much that same guy, but Jordan always delivered. Jordan never fell short. LeBron has fallen short time and time again. And yeah, at this point, he's got three rings. Still only three. Still only three. Like, to me. Like, he got bailed out and won by Kyrie. He got bailed out and won by Ray Allen. Like, it's it's ridiculous for him to think that. Body of work, he's going to end up with better stats than Jordan cumulatively pretty much across the board by the time he's he's hanging him up but again like Jordan Jordan waived two nearly two full seasons of his prime and only really played like 10 seasons because we're you know even though he had some impressive performances with the Wizards whatever LeBron is all like he's probably gonna play twice as many seasons as Jordan but when when it's all said and done so the fact that he's just now starting to pass MJ in all these stats, like, dude, it's taken you almost twice as long to get there. So what are we all so impressed by? Look, I can't sit here and I, and I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't. We've we've made it a point, I think, over the past year to not do this conversation, and we've done a pretty good job of it. And that's kind of where I sit too. It's like I grew up watching LeBron. I was young when Michael Jordan was still playing, and I still love Michael Jordan. But I also appreciate, like you had said, what LeBron has done. And I've grown to respect him after being a part of that Heat team. And, you know, being a Bulls fan, there's a special hatred of LeBron James when he was with Miami because of all of those years of the rivalry. But after that, I feel like I've gained a ton of respect and gained a ton of respect as a player. And this conversation will never end because it will always be a a new twist, a new plot to who could be the greatest. And look, 30 years from now, there's going to be another dude in the NBA that's going to say the same exact thing that LeBron says, that I'm the greatest of all time. There's going to be another person that's going to try to match a lot of the things that MJ is going to do or that LeBron's going to do. So it's going to be a revolving door that's never going to end. But... I mean, the rings argument is is still there. It'll always be there for people who defend MJ. And then the, the advanced analytics will always be there for the people that want to defend LeBron. So, But I had to bring it up. I, th- I felt like all of us here in Chicago still think about it. There's still a million Bulls fans out there that remember Michael, still love him, don't think, still think he's the GOAT, don't think LeBron is. So I had to bring it up. There was one final thing, Matt, real quick. So I've been listening to a podcast about uh, Kobe Bryant was on a podcast and he was asked about his time maybe coming to Chicago and I know we've brought this up a couple different times but talking about being uh, looking for houses in Lake Forest thought he was coming here got to a point where he was literally telling Bulls fans to go buy Bulls jerseys a part of one of his sponsorship deals that kind of fizzled out but a follow-up question was asked about you know were you ever nervous about coming to Chicago and having to play under the shadow of Michael and it being more recent than it is right now? And his response was basically that it's BS, that that chasing Michael or having to go to a team that had one of the greatest players of all time 
is nonsense. He's like, the Lakers, look at the Lakers. They've had Wilt Chamberlain. They've had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They've had Magic Johnson. They've had Shaquille O'Neal. So to say that players don't want to go to a team because they feel like that they have to be chasing a shadow is nonsense. And I thought it was so spot on and it completely... It completely validated any of our arguments here about free agents being, oh, scared off about uh, chasing Michael's shadow. It's all BS, it, and if a player wants to come here to win, they're going to come here to win, and that's as simple as that. So coming straight from one of the greatest players of all time, too, and Kobe pretty much tells you that that's that's not an excuse for why guys may or may not want to come to a certain city. I mean, we, we've we gone over the, the pros and cons of, of coming to Chicago, I guess like playing under the the huge shadow of MJ is is going to be something but I don't think it's quite as intimidating as it once was cuz it's been a while now. We're 20 years we're we're now more than 20 years removed from the end of the dynasty. And if you want to be the next person to bring such a great franchise and a historic franchise back to the top then you put it on yourself as a as a big name star in this league and you come to Chicago I a top three market in what is quickly becoming the most popular league in the country, rivaling the NFL uh, as far as its fan base. And you can do that. Come play here. But we know, we know, right? What are all of the limitations of wanting to come here? Well, people don't like to go play in cold markets, you know, or like cold city markets. Okay, fine. Yeah, Chicago, November to March is pretty crappy. We, We all get that. But is that really enough of a deterrence? No, I don't think so. I think it's largely about can players see themselves winning here and can they see themselves enjoying working with and working for a certain group of people. And that is the one that right now has a lot of Bulls fans triggered and a lot of Bulls fans pessimistic and angry when certain people keep referencing their great cap flexibility and we all say, to what end? What is this gap flexibility for if all you're going to do with it is overpay an aging Dwayne Wade and overpay a busted ACL's Jabari? Like, that—that that is the, the lingering frustration, and that's why as, mu- as much as there are some exciting free agent names coming around the corner this summer, nobody thinks they're coming here, and that sucks. Yeah, I just hated that the, f- the like, even, like, People here in Chicago still want to use MJ as a reason why maybe people would be scared off to come here and sign. And like, that isn't the case. And I really don't think for the great players in the NBA, even go back 10 years to when in 2007, when Kobe was maybe going to come here, the Bulls were maybe going to trade for him and wanted to come to Chicago. That wasn't an excuse for him. And you ask any of the great players, I'm sure they will tell you that a deterrent to go to any city, go to Boston, you have to live up to Larry Bird, Bill Russell. Like That didn't deter guys from wanting to go and play for the Celtics. It didn't deter LeBron from wanting to go play for the Lakers. Like So that shouldn't be an excuse here in Chicago is because, oh, because Scottie Pippen played here. Oh, because Michael Jordan played here. We don't want to follow in our footsteps. And like, look at even Derrick Rose. I know it was a special circumstance, but still, even the short-lived career that he had here in Chicago, he was beloved. He was, he was absolutely beloved here because he was a good basketball player and because he was from here. But 
guys aren't scared from that. Guys are not scared from that, so it shouldn't be an excuse that any of us use as far as why free agency free agents don't want to come here. Agreed. Well, I think that's going to about do it here on Locked On Bulls. You can follow us on social media on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On Bulls. Subscribe to the show, iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. We're live on Dash Radio, Dash Radio.com, and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Net channel, live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Our text and voicemail lines at 331-979-1369. You got 24 hours. Drop all your voicemails, all of your text messages. We'll get to as many as we can on tomorrow's episode. That's 331-979-1369. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. 